context, I'm going to start off uh, in verse 1. And this is a reading of God's word. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians and God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this reading of your word, and we pray, Lord, again, as this word is about to be expounded and exhorted, we pray, Lord, that we would um, really receive uh, all that is here, Lord. Be with your servant as I deliver um, this sermon unto your people. We pray, Lord, that you would have us all, Lord, to really benefit and glean from these, these words of the Apostle Paul, just these two verses. Help us to be watchful and help us to persevere, especially in, in love and faith, and especially as we are set to go through much, much affliction and persecution in this life. May you get the glory as we read and study your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's been about, uh, about two months uh, since we have been looking at this uh, new series in 2 Thessalonians. And as I said before, it's, it's very similar to the last series that we were going through in uh, 1 Thessalonians. And it's pretty much the same topics, but more enforced and more clear, more concise and to the point. Reason why? Because most likely this letter was written two weeks after or maybe a month after that it was written, uh, the first letter was written. So this is very um, uh, recent, um, since the last letter was uh, written to the, 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 Thessalon the Christians in Thessalonica, but it has the same uh, themes. Um, but the theme we're going to go through today is a very important theme that is amongst God's people, and it's something that we are to remember, especially as we persevere and go through uh, this Christian life. And so the main thing that we are to glean from this, this teaching is that Christians, Christians must thank God when they see brethren increase in faith and love. They must thank God. That is our duty. Uh, whenever we see brethren increase in faith and love. And also all Christians are called are called to persevere in faith and love during persecution and affliction. And we will see this in two points based on the teaching. And the first point, we'll, we'll pretty much be looking at verse three. Uh, Christians must thank God when they see brethren increase in love. And then the second point, all Christians are called to persevere in faith and love during persecution and affliction. And that will be in verse four. So right now, let us look to verse 3. Let us remind ourselves what Paul says uh, by the power of the Spirit. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers, as is right, 
because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you, every one of you for one another is increasing. And so we see this countless thing, many times in, in Paul's letters as he is addressing churches, that they, he is always thankful for them. Rather they are good churches, rather they are solid churches, this church here in uh, Thessalonica is a very, very solid church. And, and most of the, the, the individuals in this church are Gentiles, most. And most of them uh, did not grow up in a household that was filled with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's nevertheless, he's thankful that they are growing in the faith, growing abundantly, even in the midst of persecution. But all throughout Paul's letters, he's, he's thankful for every single church that he uh, comes across. In Romans 1, he was thankful for the Romans. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Another church, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because the grace of God that was given in you in Christ Jesus. Now, that sounds very nice as we hear it, but do you realize who he was talking to in that passage? It's the Corinthian church. Church filled with much division, filled with much not, there wasn't much uh, church discipline going on there. They didn't even get the resurrection right. But nevertheless, Paul, as he is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we heard this morning, is thankful for that church. He didn't, there, of course he corrected many things that they were doing wrong. But nevertheless, he uplifted God and was thankful to God that the word went forth in Corinth, and that's the same thing that we are to do as well. We all will always be thankful for the church, just as the Apostle Paul was thankful. And so, in general, Christians ought to be thankful for the church. We see that in the Apostle Paul, but they are obligated to give thanks for any increase in growth, any increase. This is why Paul says, I am, I am obliged. He, he, was, he felt like he was... In the old King James, he says that he was under an oath to give thanks to God. That's how serious it was for him to see the blessing of them growing up in the knowledge of the Lord. That was, that was how he, he looked at it. Um, and so this word that says oath, it literally, it literally means bound by an oath. To show thanks to Christians who are growing so Christians, especially ministers and especially leaders and elders and deacons, elders and deacons are obligated to give God thanks for his grace manifested in others and in themselves. I mean, even if you see grace um, working in your life, you are to give thanks to God. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. The reason why we give thanks is because all the church's gifts all the church's graces that is being decked out upon the church, it benefits us. When someone is moving on in sanctification, moving on in, in love and faith, it benefits the whole entire, entire church. The opposite is when one of us is sinning against the Lord, seriously, it affects the whole entire church. And that's why Paul gives thanks but he also corrects many, many times. He's even going to correct this church, which seems like a healthy church, and for the most part it is. 
But there's some things that they are not getting right, and he's going to correct that as well. But and all in all, in general, all of our gifts, all of our graces that's being poured out by the Spirit, we are to enjoy that and benefit from that from each other. And that that way, we would be more in fellowship with one another. And so, it would comfort these these Christians to know that their spiritual father, the Apostle Paul, again, who was sent, who was called and sent. And he, he, he was sent to them. And many of, as he was sent to them, many of the Jews did not believe, but these Christians did. It would, it would benefit them by, by telling, by the Apostle Paul telling them, it is right to do so. It is right to do this. And that will comfort them and, and make them understand that they are in God. But we also see in this passage is that the thanks is to be to God. We do not serve a man-made uh, religion. We do, not, we do not uplift man here. And Paul just doesn't just give thanks to uh, the Thessalonians for their service. And that's a, it's right to do so. But he mainly thanks God for all the things that God is working in them to do. These people are evangelizing. These people are praying with one another. And they are loving each other even while they are being persecuted jailed, slandered, even while they're going through all of that, the Apostle Paul is uh, commending the Lord, the God of, of them, and exercising his thankfulness to God towards all those things that's happening in that church. And so the thanks is to be a God because he's responsible for that. Who can endure persecution? Who can endure anything that the enemy throws at us without help and without the grace that is given to all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us can. None of us will stand. It's not by our own strength. It's not by my, our own might. It's by the Spirit of God that we are able to be uplifted and be able to persevere, even in times of persecution. And so God is responsible for the growth and mainly, this, this, this is an example of our election. This is actual proof of our election. Because as we are elected, calling out of a, of a fallen world, and we are able to persevere even in times of strife, this goes to show us that the Lord is with us and he has chosen us uh, before the foundation of the world. And, and by the way, he mentioned that in the previous letter. Um, talking to these uh, Christians in Thessalonica. But look at these virtues, faith and love. Faith, love, and hope is the cardinal virtues for all Christians. We, we're not going to get into hope uh, tonight. Uh, the, in the following sermons, we're going to talk about what the, the hope is for a Christian and how we are to hope even in times of persecution. But Paul calls out here their faith and love. These are chief expressions of their election. These are chief expressions of how they love their God. So faith and love, Paul recognizes them, first of all, for their faith. And Paul's not using faith as in the sense of, you know, the act of faith as in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and, 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 and believing on him in order to be saved. He's, he's talking about faith in a fide, in what we call in, in theology, fides generalis. 
In other words, the general faith or general conviction that comes to a person of the truthfulness, the truthfulness of the Christian faith. It's the, it's the general conviction that comes from all that God has deposited towards the faith of the saints. It is that faith that, that Paul is talking about here. And this is the faith that is necessary, you know, necessary to please God in Hebrews chapter 11, 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And this is something that even if you don't see it in your life, you still believe and you trust. And that's why we go forward, even in uh, this passage in Hebrews, he talks, he gives an example of Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went out to live in the land of promise, as is a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. They couldn't see it, but they believed it, and they trusted in it. And that's the faith that we are talking about here. It's trusting in God for the unknown. And that is an indication of this faith that he is talking about. And so in times of trial and persecution, the believer must especially trust in God in times of trial and persecution. Think about Habakkuk and in, in, in the ending of Habakkuk, Habakkuk 3, 17, uh, verses 18. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fell and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Do you remember the context of this? When, ha when Habakkuk started, he was one of the you know, peculiar prophets. He starts off with a complaint to God about the people and, about the people and how the lawless they were. He said the Torah is, par is paralyzed, the law is paralyzed. And Lord, what are you going to do? And the Lord says, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if it was told. And what is that work? He's sending the Chaldeans to bring judgment upon his people. And you know how back it, how he reacted. He said, Lord, why would you do this? The Chaldeans? These are wicked people. And the, the Lord reminds them that the Chaldeans are not getting away with anything. And so once the Lord corrects Habakkuk, Habakkuk turns into this great praise of God. Even though the people are going to suffer, even though there's going to be so many trials and there's going to be so many things taken away from them, nevertheless, he's going to make joy, have joy, there goes that rejoice always. He's going to make joy in the God of his salvation. That is faith working out. And so God allows us to grow in his faith. And that is what's happening here, here in Habakkuk and here in these Christians in Thessalonica. And so Paul recognizes Thessalonians, not just for their faith, but also for their love. He's mentioning their love here. Even while there was persecution and going on and all that, they still had love for one another. There was no schism as some churches have during these trials. It was just a love and devotion for one another. 
And by the way, there is no service. Rather be giving up your life, rather be preaching, rather it be giving to the poor. There is no service that you can do for the Lord that is, that, that is of any value without love. You have to have love. And I, let's prove that in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, which is what we're talking about here, so as to, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And so that's the importance of love being in your heart, even as you are serving the Lord, even as you have faith. That is your faith working out. Your faith needs to work out in love. And the unity of the church, this is a unified church. The unity of the church is expressed in love. And so that's the importance of this. And so that's the, that's the uh, first point, Christ. Christians must thank God when they see brethren increase in faith and love. And so by application, uh, we, we need to ask the Lord um, that we are to grow in our thanksgiving for one another. First of all, in general, that means leaders, elders, deacons, all of God's people. We, when we see grace in any saint that is working out in love and faith, we should always thank God for that because that benefits us. So are you rejoicing when you see growth in others and others? Leaders, do you? Do you rejoice when you see any elements of obedience, any increase of obedience, any love? Do you enjoy that? Or do you mock at it? Or do you envy it? That shows a lack of love. And so to not enjoy and to not give thanks to God for others is a severe sin. And you need to repent if that is you. But you also ought to remember them in your prayers and affirm them when you notice the growth in them. Yes, it is right for Christians to affirm one another. That's not all we ought to do. We ought to correct and rebuke, and Paul's going to get into that. But we also ought to affirm one another whenever we are doing good things for the Lord. The second application I want us to understand is that we ought to recognize that it is God that is working in all of us. It's not us. It's not our own abilities. It's not our bookshelves and how many books we read. It is God himself. All these things that we do, um, even the preaching of the word, even the sacraments, taking the sacraments, everything that we do, if the Holy Spirit is not in it, there's no increase. We're not Roman Catholics here. And I dare to say we're not federal vigilants here. We believe that these things are not automatic. It is by the Spirit that these things work. And if the Spirit is not working, we're not increasing. And that's why elders, what we do, we, we come to you and say, are you benefiting from the Word? Are you benefiting from the sacraments? 
How? Explain. The reason why we do those investigative questions is because we want to see growth in your life and, and, and give you that encouragement. And so we ought to recognize that it is God working in us. And the last application of this first point is, is that we are to examine ourselves of our progress in faith and love. Examine yourself. Are you growing in this faith and this love? And do you want motivation? I can give you motivation. Why you can grow, why you should grow in faith. Because all this is about is being, having a good understanding of the relationship that you have with the triune God. And so let me give you motivations that's by scripture. God's protection. Do you want to feel that God is protecting you? I'm sure you do. Psalm uh, 5, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread, their, spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt you. Do you want gladness? Do you want joy? And I mean real joy. We, we talked about that. We rejoice always. I'm talking about real, true joy that is not seen in this world. Psalm 64, verse 10, let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright heart, let, let the upright heart exalt our God. Do you want peace? Isaiah 26, verse 3 to 4. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you, trusts in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Do you, want to, do you want to understand that you're blessed? Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And, and it goes on to further, the trust is not in man. And that's when he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And that's what happens when you trust in man. But if you trust in God, you are indeed blessed. And do you want confidence? And I mean confidence in your Lord. Psalm 112, verse 7. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. And so that's what we want. We, we want that, that his faith working in us, the faith of our God working in us. But without love, you don't have true faith. It has to be exercised in love. And so do you have a love for God? And do you have a love for his people? If that's not your main consideration, that is damaging. And you will not grow in your knowledge of the Lord. And you need to repent. Because without love, you're nothing. You won't advance. And you need to be born again in an in, in a, in a understanding of what this is and what this is all about. You are to love your brothers and sisters, and you are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you're not growing in faith and love and hope, remember what your Lord said, John 15, verse 2, for every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does, does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Listen to your Lord when he says, if you are not bearing fruit, he takes away. And so understand this, understand who you are in Christ, 
and may we all grow in faith and love. And now point number two, all Christians are called to persevere in faith and love during persecution and affliction. And we're going to look at this in verse four. It says, therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God. And probably around this time, Paul was in Corinth as he was writing this. Um, so he probably was boasting this about this, this church in Corinth. So therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So we see Paul boasting, and this is not the first time he has boasted about the Thessalonians. You saw this in the last letter again, but now he's boasting even more so. Now, boasting could be good, but boasting can also be bad. And we know we are not to boast in the flesh. We know we're not to boast in our wisdom. We know we're not to boast in our strength. We know we're not to boast in men and works. To do so is evil. But we can boast in God. We can boast in the Christ, in, in, in our Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can boast in the cross of Christ. We can boast in the faithfulness of churches, as Paul is doing here. We can boast in that. Because we realize, again, that God is working in those churches. And again, even when a church is not moving forward in maturity, we still can give thanks to God for that church, as we saw with Paul thanking God for the Corinthians out of all churches. So boasting in God, boasting in Christ, boasting about how God is working in them. And so God is magnified by the Thessalonians' perseverance, provoking other churches to imitate them. We're going to get into that again. This doctrine that Paul, many, many times throughout his letters, emphasized, imitation. There, are, there is a sense that we are to imitate those who are growing in the knowledge of the Lord. And that's the reason why he's boasting especially while he's in Corinth. He's boasting about how they are walking in the light of God's, of God's favor. And, but Paul did this many times, as you see in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, 2, 2, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Is it not you? You Thessalonians? You are boast. You are crowned. You are, are a representation that the God has truly sent me as an apostle to do this work, as we heard this morning. And that's why Paul is so joyful about these Christians in uh, Thessalonica. And so um, the, their perseverance and love, perseverance and love follows uh, faith, as we see in 2 Peter verse 1, 5, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And Peter is writing to a persecuted church as well. So that's something that you see, uh, perseverance and love follows uh, their faith. And so the more believers advance in faith, the more they can forbear and have courage. But when they show weakness, 
when they show impatience with regards to the, the trials that they are going through, that shows a lack of faith. And that's what James is talking about in James chapter 1. Um, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, uh, with virtue, knowledge, and with knowledge, self-control. Um, actually, that was Peter. But James uh, actually talks about that kind of all joy when you face trials and temptations. The reason why is because God is at work in you. And so these virtues, perseverance, steadfastness, faith, love, are virtues that are always to be um, advanced in in all Christians. And so Paul is aware of the persecution and afflictions that the Thessalonians are under. He realizes it. He's heard about it. Timothy most likely is the one that told him about the afflictions that they were going through. And so we really need to define really what persecution is. Persecution is the hatred and affliction that follows the witness and holy life of God's people in a hostile world. That's what persecution is. It was prophesied after the fall, Genesis 3.15. The Proto-Evangelion, that the, the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent, and the serpent will bruise his heel. That seed of the woman represents Christ and all who are in him. That seed of the, of the serpent represents the devil and all those who are in him. And that is the irreconcilable war, and that is history as you know it. That's the war that's been going on since the Garden of Eden. And it continues to go on, continues and continues. And so there's always going to be hatred. And even in the first murder, Cain killed Abel, which was over persecution. I mean, which was over worship, by the way. It was over worship. Cain killed Abel. And there we see how the seed of the serpent makes its way into God's people. And folks, I got to tell you, even now, the seed of the serpent likes to make his way inside the church. And Paul is going to address that in the second chapter of this seer epistle when he talks about the man of lawlessness. Notice that he comes from within the church. And that's why we are to be aware that Satan comes as an angel of light. He doesn't come with, with horns and a pitchfork, as you see in some Hollywood movies or even in some art. He comes as a preacher, as an angel of light, and he wants to devour his people. He is cunning. He is deceitful. And that's how we are to look at that. And so this is the history of the world and persecution truly happens to all who are in Christ everywhere. Second Thessalonians, uh, I mean, second Timothy chapter three, verse 12, it says, indeed, all that is all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be. No, it says he they will be persecuted. They will be persecuted. And that is something that we are to be aware of. Um, the persecution and afflictions were not limited to a single event for the Thessalonians. 
but it's all the persecutions that they experience. And realize there, there's much affliction and persecution, different types. It's not just jailings and, and, and things like that, and people fighting you and beating you up and things like that. Although that is extreme persecution that many people go through. But look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 11, Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and other all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account which is slander. These are things that we all as Christians will go through in this life, especially as we carry on the righteousness and believe in the righteousness that Christ uh, shows towards his law and believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as our uh, savior. And so that's the persecutions that we all will experience in some form or fashion or another. So we will uh, be persecuted. For the Thessalonians, they experience all, all these types, but it's through perseverance, Christians show appreciation for the grace of God. Through persecution, Christians show appreciation for the grace of God. And that is how we see that. And Christians can persevere through persecution and affliction because they are in God. God is working in them, and that's why they are able to persevere. And so perseverance has the Christian look forward to the new heavens and the new earth. First Peter chapter four, verse 12 to 14 says, beloved, do not be surprised. And sometimes we are surprised when we are persecuted. But Peter is telling you, do not be surprised at this fiery trial which comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. Not nothing strange happening to you. This is something that the Lord has told you was going to happen. And we, but what does Peter say? He says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted in the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. And so that's what we ought to believe, and that's what we ought to think about when we think, when we hear this point. All Christians are called to persevere in faith and love during persecution and affliction. And so here are some final applications of this last point. All of you who are persecuted in the name of Christ, and yes, whether it be slander, it may even... People may even turn from you, your family members, your friends. There are many people who I was talking to one officer uh, during Christmas, uh, how his, his, you know, basically his, his sister is not even having a relationship with him because of some satanic activity that's upon her. These are things that we experience as Christians. And so we, we will lose our family members at times. And yes, we may lose our lives. And yes, here in America. I don't know if you realize, but two, two months ago, you may not have heard this, but there were two street preachers who were shot in the head. They both lived, thank God. But they were preaching, street preaching, faithfully. Yes, it's here. Even that type of persecution. 
So we ought to be uh, take comfort in the Lord and be encouraged and not to let our guard down, especially in November and December. People are just not aware of what's going on. And we need to be aware at all times. We are never to let our guard down when it comes to this irreconcilable war. I pay attention to boxing. But I can tell you, it doesn't mean, it doesn't take anyone who listens and pays attention to boxing to realize if you get, leave your guard down for a millisecond with someone who knows how to punch, it's lights out. You're done. You're done. But we have an enemy who knows us. He knows our weaknesses. And we are to never let our guard down at all times. So take comfort, be encouraged, and realize that nothing is out of the ordinary that you are experiencing. So keep your guard on everything the Lord has given you in his word and persevere against the, word, the world, the flesh, and the devil and seek help. If you, you really need to understand how you are united to the Lord Jesus Christ and his human nature. And, and bring these, these, these things that you worry about, your anxieties upon him. Our Lord Jesus Christ endured all forms of these persecutions. He identifies with your weaknesses. He knows your struggles. He has been through all types of trials and all types of temptations, but he did not sin. That's something that the Heavenly Father and the, and the Holy Spirit did not partake. That's peculiar to him as the person. So invoke the name of Christ. Invoke the name of Christ for him to lift you up. Cast your cares upon him and say, Lord, I do not think I'm, I'm being a man pleaser here. I'm being a coward. He will forgive you. And he understands your trials and temptations. Repent of those things and draw near to him and he will lift you up as he is the one who experienced all types of trials and persecution uh, in this life. And so seek help from the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek help from his spirit. Ask for his spirit to help you and, and, and help you to persevere. But this next following application is, is you may be the persecutor here. In some ways, there might be maybe somebody watching online. You may be the one who mock Christ in his church. You hate the songs. You hate the hymns of, your, of, the, of the church. You may be the one who slanders the ministers, slanders the elders. That is a form of persecution. Even ignoring is a form of persecution. Did you know that? Based on the, the definition of the word, ignoring, rolling the eyes. All those things are forms of mocking, slandering, reviling God's people. And so what you ought to do is realize that what predicament that you in and repent. And yes, the Lord can give grace to those who persecute the church. Did we not hear that this morning? The Apostle Paul was a persecutor of Christians. And the Lord opened up his eyes. Well, blinded his eyes. Didn't open them up. <laughs> um, to see who he truly is. 
and have him to, uh, to experience the grace that is uh, before him. But all who are cowards, this next application, you really need to realize, all who are cowards, and you know you have been cowardice, you have acted in cowardice. I want you to read Revelation 21, verse 5 through 8. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And what are the words? And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But what does he say? But as for the cowardly, that's the first thing mentioned. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, he groups them in with murderers. For the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You coward. You, you coward in the, in the face of Christ. If you do that, you are not safe. Don't think that you are. This passage shows you that you are not safe. What you are to do is repent of that and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek him for guidance. Seek him and he will indeed uplift you. Invoke the name of your Savior and he will draw near to you. And yes, he will save a coward. He's done so many and many times. And he will save you. Now, as we end this uh, passage, let us be reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ is always with his people and always with his church. And he is able to give us the strength to persevere until the very end. So may the Lord, the Lord of hosts, be our strong tower and defense. May he lift up all of our hearts and have us persevere in faith and love during persecution. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are reminded of what is our duty as we have been deposited um, this, this faith, Lord. We, remind, we are reminded, Lord, that we are called to suffer. Um, and we don't do so willingly, Lord, but we pray, Lord, that you would guide us and strengthen us in times that we, we, we are not bold. We are, not, we, are not, we are just showing cowardice, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us in that and cleanse us of this and have us, Lord, to persevere in faith and love even while we endure persecution. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Assaulter.